This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Crime Shots. I'm Bree. And I'm Nikki. So this case is out of Waco, Texas. Waco, of course, is known for a lot of things. It's the home of Baylor University. George Bush actually has a ranch there where he hosted several foreign leaders, including uh, Vladimir Putin and Tony Blair. Vladimir Putin? Okay. It's also the location of the Waco siege. Ah, yes, yes. Which was the law enforcement siege of a compound that belonged to a religious sector. It resulted in more than 76 deaths. But we will get into that at a later date. So this is not the only time that religion and death would collide in Waco. Oh. So this is the story of the Bakers. Yes, the Bakers. Carrie Baker was born August 13, 1974 in Salt Lake City, Utah, to James and Linda Doolin. At some point, the family moves to Waco. Waco is central Texas, just northeast of Temple. You may be familiar with the Magnolia Market, which is like a home design center, which is it's owned by Chip and Joanna Gaines. It's been featured on HGTV. It's a fixer-upper show. Yeah. Uh, but that's based out of Waco. So Carrie attended Waco Christian High School where she was an athlete and a cheerleader, which down here in Texas, football and cheerleading are like the big deals. Yes, football and cheerleading is a big deal in Texas. So Carrie was a member of the Baptist Church. She graduated from high school in 1993 and, of course, moved on to college at Baylor University. Shortly after starting college, Carrie meets Matt Baker. After about two months of dating, the two get married. Matt and Carrie get married. Mm, That's quick. You're right. It is quick. But people do that. So, Matt was raised in Kerrville, which is like southwest of Fredericksburg. Texas Hill Country. Yes, in the Texas Hill Country. Now, Matt's childhood was a little different than Carrie's. Matt's parents, Oscar and Barbara, were foster parents. 
So Matt was their biological child, but they fostered kids as well. So before he was like even 10 years old, there had been like more than 50 children come in and out of the home. Okay. So around the same time that Matt turned 10, um, his sister was born. His parents decided that it wasn't necessarily a good fit for them anymore to be foster parents. And so they decided to stop fostering and just focus on their own kids. Okay, so Matt and Carrie both grew up, you know, fairly regular childhoods aside from the abundance of children in foster care. So Matt and Carrie are both attending Baylor University and they get married after like three months of dating. Carrie graduated and moved on to Dala... Dallas. Dallas Baptist University, where she received her teaching degree. Okay. So after receiving her degree, uh, she becomes a teacher at Spring Valley Elementary and was also an instructor at Tarleton State University. Okay. Now, Matt, after graduating from Baylor, attended the George W. Truett Theological Seminar and became a Baptist pastor at Crossroads Baptist Church. Okay. All right, so get ready for this, Nikki. During this time, they settle in the town of Axtell. <laughs> I still don't know if I'm saying it right. I can't remember what, uh, how they told us it's pronounced. I think the first time you said Axtell. And then we were told it's Axtell. All right, so Axtell. Uh, that may have been like our first episode. So, go back and listen to those. Listen to me say everything incorrectly. So, all of this is going on. Carrie and Matt get married after three months of dating. They're in college. They're graduating. They settle in Axtell. During all of this, they have two kids. So, they have Cassidy, who was born in 1997. And then they have Kinsey, who was born in 1998. Now... Also in 98, Cassidy is diagnosed with a brain tumor. And after a short battle, um, she passes away the following year in March. Oh. So obviously this takes a toll on the family, especially Carrie. She, she struggles to cope with the loss of her child. She starts attending therapy. And later on, they have another daughter named Grace in 2000. All right. On April 8th of 2006, they are spending a quiet night at home. The kids are in bed. And Matt and Carrie decide that they're going to rent a movie. So Matt leaves his house to go fill up the car with gas and rent a movie. He leaves the house about 11 p.m., and for people that may not know, back in the day, we could rent a new movie. And so you had to go to a rental store and rent the movie. So after you've watched the movie, you return it to the store. Be kind. Rewind. Exactly. So that's how things were. So he gets gas, he rents his movie, and he returns home. When he gets back home... He notices that the bedroom door is locked. So, obviously, he's knocking on the door and nobody's answering. Eventually, he gets a screwdriver and pries the door open. So, he gets the door open and he finds Carrie naked and unconscious on the bed. 
So he immediately calls 911 and he starts trying to do CPR. And then he's also trying to clothe her because she's naked. And so she's trying, he's trying to cover her up before the EMTs arrive. EMS arrives and they start working on Carrie, but they're unable to revive her. And she's pronounced dead in her home. Oh. So officers contact the McLennan County Justice of the Peace they tell the JP what happened, they explain everything, and then they also explain that they found a bottle of sleeping pills next to the band next to the bed on the nightstand. A bottle of Unisum. Unisum? That's a sleep uh to help you sleep, right? Yeah, it's a over the counter sleep aid. But in this case the bottle they found is basically empty. So along with the bottle of sleep aid they find a suicide note a typed suicide note typed that's weird okay why is it weird well i guess not considering there were still movie stores all right so if we're talking about in the day of the famous blockbuster movie rentals i would have expect it to be handwritten and cursive over typed Cursive, we used to have to learn how to write in cursive. First of all, you're acting like that was a long time ago. It wasn't that long ago. I just think it's odd that it's typed. I'm sorry, that's just me. Maybe not. It's it's more believable that it's typed because people had printers at that time, I guess. Like, who owns a printer now? Um, I I own a printer. I have a printer too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was odd too, but I wanted to know... Your reasoning by behind why you think it's odd. So, like, I can tell you my reasoning. Why? Well, I think it's odd because I feel like a person that's going to commit suicide and leave a suicide note is not going... They're not going to go through the trouble of typing it out and then printing it off. It's going to be like a... It's going to be more of a quick thing than, you know, thinking it out. Yeah. Well, not to mention, I mean, if, if she's doing it... You know, while he's yeah left left to town for a short time, you know she's not gonna have enough time for that. Right. Okay. So this is what the suicide note says. It says, Matt, I'm so sorry. I'm so tired. I just want to sleep for a while. Please forgive me. Tell Kenzie and Grace that I love them very much. Tell my mom and dad I love them too. I love you, Matt. I'm so sorry for the past few weeks. I want to give Cassidy a hug, and I need to feel her again. Please continue to be the great dad to our little girls. Love them every day for me. I'm so sorry. I love you, Carrie. Carrie was laid to rest that following Monday at the Oakwood Cemetery. At her visitation, Matt actually approached Joanne Bristol, who was Carrie's therapist that she had been seeing. Matt told Joanne that all of it was so unexpected, that he never saw it coming, and then he asks Joanne if Carrie ever told her that she thought he was trying to kill her. Oh, red flag. Well, Joanne tells him, yeah, she said that. So then he's like, well, did she tell you that she thought I was having an affair? And jo- Joanne tells him, he, she's like, yeah, she told me that too. Oh, wow. So then Joanne asks Matt, she's like, well, what happened? Because as far as I know, she wasn't suicidal. And Matt's just like, I don't know. So he totally did it. Okay. All right. So not long after Carrie's death, Carrie's parents, Jim and Linda, noticed that Matt had been calling Carrie's cell phone. 
Matt and Carrie had recently put their phones on Carrie's parents' bill. So when Jim and Linda got the bill, they noticed that Matt had called Carrie's phone several times after she passed. Mm -hmm. So he's like a a distraught husband, and he's he's calling his wife's phone after she's gone. Okay. To hear her voicemail, like to hear her voice in her voicemail, or I mean that that that's a possibility. Okay. However, there were like over 200 calls to her phone in the matter of like two days. On top of that, there were several women from the congregation that confided in Linda and told her that Matt was flirting with them. Oh. And come to find out, Matt had actually given the phone to a girl from the church named Vanessa Bulls. So, he wasn't actually calling Carrie. He was calling the girl that he gave the phone to. Right, he was calling Vanessa. What an idiot. I mean, it's it's a little suspicious. You think? Okay, so here come the investigators. We have Bill Johnston, who was an assistant U.S. attorney. We have Mike McNamara, he was a U.S. marshal, and John Bennett, Uh, who was an undercover agent for the Department of Public Safety. Um, So they start their investigation. They find out that when Carrie and Matt were in college, numerous women said that Matt had come on to them in a way that was uncomfortable. Oh, dear. Keep in mind, this is all happening while he's in pastor school, or whatever you want to call it. Investigators also looked into his computer. (laughs) And obviously they find porn. But they researched his search history and found out that he had been researching sleeping pills. Of course. This dude is an idiot. In July of 2006, Carrie's family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Matt. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Good for them. So the case, which was closed as a suicide by the JP without even having gone to the scene, was reopened. And of course, they exhumed the body for autopsy. So Matt's like, let me let me call some people. <laughs> so Matt hires these attorneys. Gerald Villarreal, uh, he was a Waco lawyer with Dunham & Dunham. And James Rainey, who was also a Waco lawyer with Rainey & Rainey. Carrie's body was taken to the Southwest Institute of Forensic Science in Dallas. They perform approximately 3,000 autopsies a year. And did you know an autopsy can cost anywhere between $3,000 and $5,000? That doesn't surprise me. Well, obviously because so much time had passed and other circumstances going into it, it makes things a little bit more difficult to con- to come to a, like a firm conclusion on this autopsy. But the autopsy revealed traces of alcohol, Ambien, and Unisom. Oh, both. But uh, they couldn't make a final determination on like the time frame and how much. So basically, 
all they can really come up with is that she died and this is the stuff in her system. So Carrie's family was not satisfied with these results, obviously. Uh, but remember, they do have a wrongful death suit open. Right. Um, so they hire a toxicology expert out of Tennessee. Oh, okay. So this expert was able to determine that the pills that were in her system were not in her stomach. Mm -hmm. So like when you swallow a pill, evidence of that pill is in your stomach and that's where your stomach acids eat it up and disperse it all into your body. The evidence that the previous autopsy found were in her muscle tissue. How do they get there? Well, if it's in the muscle, then it means that something else happened. Right. So it means that she didn't voluntarily swallow a pill. Okay. So there is also evidence of lividity. Oh. Lividity is basically where the blood and the body pools after death because it's it's not pumping anymore. So it causes like a discoloration wherever it settles. Kind of like a bruise, but it can settle anywhere in the body. It's just, it depends on gravity and where the lowest point of the body is right anyways it takes like four to six hours for lividity to become fixed right so because of this they determine that she could not have died in the 45 minutes that it took matt to go get gas and rent a movie right so in august of 2007 carrie's death is changed from suicide to undetermined now Investigators are obviously putting together a case with the help of many, many people, including Carrie's family. And in October, Matt is actually arrested for murder. Hmm. But the charges were dropped because <gasps> the prosecution feared that they didn't have enough evidence to take him to court just yet. They also felt like his special friend from church that he gave that phone to, um, they felt like she knew a lot of information and investigators wanted to also know that information i would think so yes so during the lawsuit the prosecution decided that they would just subpoena vanessa to testify and see what she says they weren't really sure what she was going to say but they were like it's not going to hurt anything if anything you know she can incriminate herself and help the case but if not then she's not going to hurt anything right um, but on the stand, she basically stuck to her story. She told everyone that her and Matt were friends. And then after the loss of his wife, they started dating. And she didn't feel like anything was suspicious with him. But then they ask this question. They say, did Matt ever tell you anything about Carrie's death? Oh, dear. And Vanessa, Vanessa answered with, yeah, he said, I killed her for you. Oh, my God. So, Vanessa goes on to explain that uh, he actually smothered her with a pillow. Oh my gosh. This guy. So, in March of 2009, Matt is re-arrested for murder. So, something unusual uh, happened that's not common when it comes to trials prior to the trial. Matt starts talking to everybody. Oh. Like, anybody that asks him questions, he just answers them. He even did an interview with 48 Hours, knowing full well that whatever he says can be used against him in court, and he didn't care. He's like an open book. What an idiot. All right, so they go to court. Uh, Matt's lawyers use the defense that there's really no physical evidence to support the murder. There's physical evidence to support an overdose, either suicide or otherwise, but there's no actual evidence to support a murder. 
the prosecution uses these things. Okay. Matt says that in the four minutes he was on the phone with the 911 operator, he is also performing CPR while dressing her and holding the phone. So that's a little little difficult to do all at one time. I would think so, yeah. And uh, so they think that he's lying, that he was never actually doing CPR and trying to help her. Also, crushed pills were found in Matt's briefcase by a counselor. And, of course, he says that a youth at the troubled youth center he worked at must have put them in there so they didn't get in trouble. Smart answer. And then internet searches on Matt's computer show that he tried to buy Ambien online. Now, is all of this enough evidence to put a person away for murder? So if you really think about it and you're a jury and this is the evidence that is presented to you, is that enough without a reasonable doubt to put someone away for murder? Well, I would think no, but unless you could prove that he's the one that searched for those things on the computer. Well, the prosecution kind of felt the same way. Uh, So they feel like that's not quite enough, so they decide to bring in Vanessa. So at the time, Vanessa is a 27-year-old teacher. Uh, She explains that she and Matt met at the church in 2005, and one day Matt just started flirting with her. She then testifies that Matt confided in her about his wife, said that she was extremely depressed, that she was a bad mom, and she was a bad wife since they didn't have sex anymore. Oh. So Vanessa goes on to say that one day Matt invited her to his house for counseling, obviously, and then details that uh, she said that they were, like, praying, and he, like, put his hands on her hands while they were praying, and then just, like, starts to guide her, right? Anyway, that's that's how that affair started. So then Vanessa explains that Matt started talking, like, really hateful about Carrie, like, really rude, and basically saying that he wanted her out of his life. <gasps> She's telling this to the court. Yeah, this is, like, they've called her up to the stand. This is, like, her testimony. Okay. Okay, so then Vanessa explains in detail how Matt killed Carrie. She said that Matt told her, quote, I will tell you this one time and that's it, end quote. So she says he basically created like a romantic night with wine coolers. <laughs> Any romantic night starts with wine coolers. Right. He he put crushed sleeping pills in her wine coolers And so, like, she eventually fell asleep. Like, he, like, handcuffed her to the bed, but then she, like, fell asleep. So Vanessa says that uh, Matt then tells Carrie uh, something along the lines of, give Cassidy a hug for me, and then smothers her with a pillow. Oh, wow. But she didn't die. When he removed the pillow, she, like, still gasped for air. So he used his hand to put over her nose and mouth instead. That's awful. So Vanessa also testified that he had actually been talking about it for a while before he did it. Like, he even, like, ran some ideas past her. Like, maybe I should put it in her chocolate milk tomorrow or something like that. What? Yeah, I know, right? So what I find odd is how okay Vanessa is with all this. Like, even after Carrie's death, she helped Matt throw a birthday party for their 
for the his daughter like two weeks after Carrie died. Like she's just like so nonchalant okay with it. Well, that's my thing. I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, okay, if she knew this, she knew he was planning this and and coming up with ideas on yeah. how to kill his wife, and she didn't say anything. I right. hope she's in jail too. She did say that she didn't say anything because she didn't think anybody would believe her because he was a preacher and she's just the other woman. So the jury struggled with their verdict. Like it took a, like a long time. They even asked the judge for several things to review uh, because they weren't sure. So the jury does come back with a guilty verdict. And in determining punishment, the prosecution brought forward a number of women that say Matt had molested them over the years. Wow. And also had testimony from people that say he used company computers to look up porn during, or including the Crossroads Baptist laptop. Oh my gosh. So the jury comes back with a 65 year sentence. 65 years. Not life. So far, Matt has lost all of his appeals. The girls are being raised by Carrie's parents and they're doing well. And just a side note, it also came out later that Matt's parents were actually child molesters and child abusers. Oh. To those foster kids. There was a bunch of kids that testified against them. They never got in trouble for it. But there was a bunch of kids that testified that they had bullied them and that the dad molested some of them. Oh, that's so sad. And Matt says he doesn't remember any of that. But I did uh, find an article uh, that said that Matt has actually been in trouble since he's been in prison. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it has, I don't know, it has something to do with, like, indecent exposure or something like that. (laughs) Not surprising. So, that is the Bakers, the preacher that killed his wife. On to the next. Here we go. (laughs) 